0: We've been talking about the manifold grace of God and it, the word manifold, we've been learning that God's grace come, will come to us in a variety of ways, more ways than just to save us. Um, and next week, um, only because I think it's needful that we're going to talk about God gives us the grace to put up with one another. And um, yes, yes. Turn about two people and say, you're not the easiest person to get along with. And so, but God gives the people of God, God gives us the grace to be able to cohabitate one with another as it was when the animals in the ark, they were in the ark for over a year, about a year and three weeks. And somebody said, well, it rained for 40 days. I understand that. I've read that in the Bible. But we have definite dates that when he went into and God shut the door, and when God opened the door, it was about a year and three weeks. And what kept the animals from devouring one, one another, whether they were vegetarians or carnivorous, or God just shut the mouths like he did for Daniel. But whatever the case may be, we definitely in today's society, we definitely need to grace how to deal with one another. Thank you. We do because we're all different. And we all have likes and dislikes and upbringings. And so there's a reason why we can all get along without not devouring the flock. So we'll talk about that next week when Tom and Virgil's gone. So we'll throw you all under the bus. The manifold grace of God. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. We've been talking about this. And the manifold is the poikilos is a word in the Greek. It means it's a variety of ways, shades, degrees, colors, layers. And we use this only as the coat of Joseph color. His mother made him a coat, but it wasn't just one particular fabric, one particular cover color. It was designed layers and degrees. Different times of his life, she sewn in a piece of garment. Good days, bad days. Seasons. We've been talking about this and what makes us so wonderful by the time that we get through with whatever God's trying to do in our life is that we are covered in a manifold grace of God that God has been with us in every season of our life. You can look back on your deathbed, and you can look back and say, even though that it wasn't pleasant and even though I didn't have everything that I thought that I needed, but God gave me everything that I really needed and I just needed him. If you're not there, you're in the right place this morning because this is my whole focus in this church is to get you the place to, to get you to settle down. God has a trouble hitting a moving target and to get you settled down and let him pour his grace into you in ways and shapes and fashions that maybe you're not really aware of. But uh, in the next few weeks, as we have been the last few weeks, uh, we'll discuss this. Now, I want to I go back and talk about one verse for a moment that we found And it's found in Genesis chapter six, verse eight. Dealing with grace. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a funny deal that because when you first read this, you get the idea and the impression that that Noah did something that was so impressed God that that God did something so special for him. And that's we can't argue with that either way. But the word found is the word matzah, and the word matzah means where we get a word for a windrow or something be divided, and when it's divided, something will come out of it, whether it be in agriculture or the, the definition of this word you've heard me say, that it is a spring of water coming out of a, of a rock cliff. And the idea of the word matzah, it means that there's something that's divided. There's something that's moved. There's something that's separated. But when it's separated, something is coming out of it. And and this is what I want to say to you, because I want you to get just a great look at this verse when it says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah did something to make God's eyes spring with water. Yep. Matzah. It's a spring of water coming from a rock wall. Now, this is not the first time. This is not unusual because of the rock of Rephidim. It's unusual to you. In the rock of Rephidim, in Exodus 17, water came from a rock. Are you with me? I know you're not new here. Somebody say, I knew that. Please say, I knew that. Thank you. I feel better. Then when the children of Israel not only got manna from heaven, but where did the rock come from? It come from the rock of Rephidim and the rock evidently followed them. I'm not sure how that worked, but rock was was spoken to and and rock opened up and water came out that not only facilitated the people of God, but all their animals. So this wasn't kind of, man's was not an unusual term. So Noah did something the find grace in the eyes of God, or Noah did something, Monsal, that caused God's eye to spring a leak. Now that's weird. It's not weird, but it's kind of weird. Years ago I was at Emmaus, and uh I, about three days we just kind of poured our hearts in some men and just kind of just for three solid days and you know. For those that are familiar with that, you kind of get all ramped up, especially the clergy. We constantly cast out demons, and some leave and some don't leave. And and, uh, and so the last day, that they, they handed me a letter. And and it's not, you don't know who it is until you open it up. And I opened it up, and it was a picture of a sonogram of a baby, an infant in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a mother's womb. And immediately, I went to make sure that was not Gala, sent that to me. I mean, well, it was... My daughter-in-law, Micah, at that time, and it was my first picture of my first grandson. You talk about eye allergies. (laughs) Oh, I just I bawled like a baby. Something made my eyes spring a leak. The baby not doing anything. He didn't wave and say, Papa, you're the best. He didn't say anything. If I can just get you to understand as sons and daughters of God, that if you'll quit trying to do something to press God, God is so moved just because who you are this morning. When Simon kind of grew up that he just kind of, and I'll just use Jordan. I've told this, but he was, I don't know how old he was. I don't know. I'm going to pay five. I don't know. We played t-ball. He played t-ball. They call in the hammer. And he was about five, and he built like a forklift. And 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 I told him one time, I said, listen, the first year he played, oh, he was horrible. And so I worked with him a little bit, and I said, listen. I said, listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. If, if you'll practice, if you'll practice, you know, I'll pay you $5 for every one you hit on the fence. Not, not, because he can't run, you know. he He couldn't run. He was just... He wasn't fast, so everyone you knocked over the, the field, the, the fence, I'll give you $5. He said, all right, play T-ball. I think the record was two. I think he had 37 that year. <laughs> he did. He just t- looked like John Daly hitting a golf ball, boom And so finally, I kept, I kept telling the coach, pull him out, pull him out of the game, pull him out. Don't let him play. But you know what? Every time I watched him hit that ball and hit a car windshield or hit somebody else in another field, I mean, water just sprung up. my eye. I was just so moved with him. <laughs> watching your kids play soccer. I mean, they call it soccer. It's just in, it's just running with insanity. But you don't care what anybody else them little kids are doing. You're just watching that one. T-ball. I coach T-ball. My kids play T-ball. They get out in the center field with, with Hot Wheels. Really? But no matter what they do, you can go to a school play, you can go to a school singing, but your little child is up there and, and and even though there's hundreds up there, but I'm telling you, you're watching one. And you don't care if she's singing on key on on every key. Water comes out of your eyes. Noah made God's eyes spring a leak. That's why it said in 2 Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro the face of the earth to show himself to be strong in half of those who, who love him. God is watching and not necessarily in a negative way, but he's watching. And when the boys got bigger, I, I cried twice. When, when Jeremy came come home and said, I'm moving out, I cried with tears of joy And when Jordan said, I'm moving out and going to college, we cried on the porch because he was leaving. But you understand. And if you don't understand as a parent, just wait till the grandkids come along. Grandkids do no wrong. No, no wrong. My kids used to say, how come you don't get on to him like you got on to me? Well, he's different than you are, so. That's why Matthew... Chapter 24, verse 37, it says, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. It's kind of a bad translation. It should be called Noah's day. Noah's day. It's Noah's day. It's the same thing as saying the day of the Lord and the Lord's day. This was Noah's day. This was Noah's opportunity for God to be glorified in him and to glorify him at the same time. This was Noah's day. And I will tell you right now, it wasn't the scripture says that, that it, they never talked about the evilness on the earth. He didn't talk about the wicked on the earth. There's more people in churches right now are wasting time talking about the wicked. I don't have time to talk about the wicked. I want to talk about the righteous and what God is doing in your life. Amen. If you signed up for diesel mechanics here, I ain't got time to tell you how to make a cupcake. You enroll in the mechanics of the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God comes only through Christ alone. And in that, in that, ladies and gentlemen, there's strength and there's joy. And every time that we begin to, as we worship this morning and lift our hands with honesty and sincerity, I'm telling you, the same thing happens as this, that something springs and leaks out of the eyes of the Father. And so maybe say, well, they play off key and... They sing off key and they're not in tune. And, and God said, it doesn't matter because their heart is turned towards me. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord or matzah. Noah caused a spring of water to flow out of the eyes of God. Now, as we begin this morning for a minute, the word grace twice is used in the Bible. One in the two testaments called charis or haris And haris only means, it's a political term, it means that the superior, which is the king, would render everything was needed to the inferior. That's the way it was. And it was a political word before it was a religious word. Paul picked it up. Christ has it all, we have nothing, so he gives us everything. But the Old Testament word for grace is a word called cain, C-H-E-N, cain. And by that definition, it means to stoop down, to bend down, to be pliable, to be flexible, and it's the ability to adapt to any circumstances or condition. And the reason why that's so wonderful is that back then, Without the workings of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, they were apt to do anything. They had a spiritual squirrel mentality and off they would go. But God's grace was so great because his spirit was not in them yet, as it would be, as it would be in the new birth in the Acts chapter 2. So what he would do, that God had enough grace that no matter what position or condition they were in, he had the ability to be pliable, to be flexible, and he could adapt to any dumb thing that they would pull if they belonged to him. It's kind of like your hand. You have the ability to grip, be flexible, grip certain things. God had the ability to grip. And the great thing about it, this word grace in the Old Testament is a reminder that we're not in this thing alone. No matter where you are today, God has the ability to get a hold of you and bring you back to a place where you should be. Now, in the New Testament, it's found in St. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, show and the father will send in my name that he'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance whatsoever that I've said unto you. Now, we've talked about this, but I've got to I've got to cover this base. The word teach. The word teach is a wonderful word. And um, the, the word teach that means pupil. didosco is the word used as the pupil. Didaskolos is the word used as the professor. So we have a professor and we have a pupil. And now then the professor is teaching the pupil. So the word teach by definition is where we get a word called scolios, it's a Latin word where we get a word for curvature, scoliosis. By definition, scoliosis means that maybe that your back or an a limb, something that was born straight, or maybe it wasn't born straight, it was intended to be born straight, but now then it's it been bent, it's been reshaped and it's been redirected. Scoliosis in the reverse as negative is that when God sends the Holy Spirit to your life, He's going to do something. He's going to teach you. So let's 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 start this over. Let's say who's the pupil? Say we are. We are. Who's the professor? God is by the Holy Spirit. What has He come to do? He's come to reshape, rebend. Recalibrate your twisted thinking. You started out straight in the church, and then somebody stuck your tongue out, and it kind of just did this to you. Somebody hurt your feelings, and then you got bent over. Somebody said something, wrote you a letter. Somebody did something to you, and it absolutely, it twisted you in the wrong direction. And the good news is here this morning, if you're twisted and you're bent out of shape, and if you're out of shape and your mind is contorted and all these things where you can't even function as a human being, the Holy Spirit's got good news. If you let him do what he wants to do, he will realign your curvature. He will teach you. He will untwist your twistings he will unbend your bending. The Bible says in, 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 in the book of Luke, I believe there was a woman all of her life, she was bent over, never could look up. And Jesus come along the Sabbath day and stood her straight up and they were mad because he did on the Sabbath. And he said, of all people, does this woman not have the right to be able to stand up and be straightened out? You have a right to be straightened out this morning. Right thinking, right thought process, a right mind. And it only comes with the Holy Spirit teaching you because sometimes we can get messed up with religious teachings. All I can tell you is this, the greatest thing that God ever did for me, he got me out of twisted teaching and he allowed the Holy Spirit to come in my life and he began to untwist the scoliosis that was in my life of my thought process, my thinking, all these things. And now then I think with a right and correct mind. Let God do that to you. Don't raise your hand. You ever been hurt? Lied to? Used? Misused? Absolutely. And it does something to you. It messes with your mind. It messes you up. It knots you up. It contorts you. Let the Holy Spirit just kind of move in today and let him teach you some things. Just let him speak to your heart. God's grace has the ability to adapt to any and all circumstances in order to reshape and redirect our mistakes and our mishaps. Anybody here besides me and, no, I'll pick one. No, I won't. Anybody besides me and Danny Bork ever done anything dumb? <laughs> Thank you. Did not it mess with you? Anybody here went to church and they taught you something that was, was, was not even biblical? Where'd you get that at? I found that out. Where'd you get that at? I started asking questions. They didn't like it. I said, just show me the Bible where it says that. Well, you just go mind your own business. Well, wait a minute. I'm about my father's business. If it's in the Bible, I'm going to believe it and I'll scream it till I die. But if it's not, I'm not going to say anything about it. See? So what happens is that, that, that when things happen along our way, the grace of God comes to us and what does it do? It reshapes, rebends and redirects all of our mistakes and our mishaps that we can walk straight and honor and glorify God. You don't don't have an excuse to carry a limp anymore in this church house. You don't. Absolutely not. If you've been here more than one time, you figured it out that the power of God lives within us through the word of God. And if we get the power of God and the word of God in us, it'll absolutely change our heart and our mind and we'll walk and we'll act different. So, the question came up two weeks ago, and I'm going to answer this, dealing with grace. And a few weeks ago, we talked about prevenient grace a little bit. And so what happens that once we're saved, and, what, and, and I use the word divine election, and I'm not ashamed of it. I use the word predestination, and I'm not ashamed of it. I believe it. Uh, that's just, and I can prove it. But it may be a little too much for you to swallow sometime, but I'd be glad to have a conversation with you. Just bring you a sack lunch and a, and, a, and a cot. We'll talk about it. But before you made your conversion, then, then why did God allow you to do dumb things? And even after your conversion, why do you continue to do dumb things? So here's the grace of God. Genesis chapter eight, verse six through nine. This is dealing with Noah. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days, the rains over that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. He's not getting off the boat. He's got another 11 and a half months to go. And he sent forth a raven which went to and fro until the waters were dried up off the face of the earth. And then he also sent a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the soul of her food until she returned to the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into the ark unto him into the ark. We've talked about this. When the grace of God, and we'll use the word prevenient grace or fundamental grace that is with you way before you say, I do. That never was your decision. That number one, after 40 days, Noah opened up the ark and he sent forth a raven, which is an unclean bird. And the Bible said it went to and fro, not back and forth. And it went to and fro until the waters dried up. It means it never came back to the ark. It didn't have to come back to the ark because raven were unclean birds and it could live on dead animals. And there was enough dead material that it didn't have to come back to the ark. It could live off one dead thing after the other. And it never came back. It went to and fro from one dead thing to the next thing. So the next thing he did, he turned forth a dove, which was a clean bird, which represents the spirit of God. And the bird, even though that it lit or lighted on dead things because it had no other place to lie, it could found no rest for the soul of her foot. She couldn't eat dead things. So she had to come back and the father reached his hand out and brought her in way before you become born again. The reason why that even though you landed on some dead things and did some stupid things, but deep down in the middle of the parking lot while everybody else was having a grand old time, you could not stay there. Something in you is screaming and hollering, this is not the life for you. And everybody's having fun and everybody's shooting fireworks and that's inside the car. I mean, everybody's just having a grand old time and popping this and popping that and doing that and drinking that. But you're sitting in the back seat with tears running down your eyes. I don't belong here. You know why? Because little did you realize God was going to call you into his saving grace. You just wasn't aware of it you could not land on dead things and stay there because that's never who you was. Oh, you landed on a lot of them, but you couldn't stay there. And even though after you got saved, and even though we get saved from time to time, we do dumb things and we land on dumb things and say, that's probably not the smartest thing I could have done. But isn't it, aren't you glad for the grace of God that he would not let you stay in that condition? my soul can find no rest until it finds rest in thee. Isn't it amazing that we, we make our minds that God, the, the church is, 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 is a falsehood. The whole thing is fabricated. I don't believe any of it. I'm going to stay home and after about the second week, you go, you know, I need to go back to church. That's the grace of God. Because you cannot, if you're born again of God, and if you're called by the Holy Spirit in John 6, if you're called to be sons and daughters of God, watch this. You can find no place for the sole of your feet outside of being in the presence of your father. And all this other stuff, it doesn't satisfy you. You know what that is? That's the grace of God. And while you're out there doing dumb things on a regular basis, God said, well, I'll just show you. No, that's not going to show you anything. You know what he does? He stands there at the door and he's waiting for you to return. And with open arms, the Bible says when she barely made it with open arms, he didn't say, well, you better get in and have a key to the front door and get in. With open arms, he brings her in because she's where I'm so thankful for the grace of God that even though then, when we do dumb things, that the grace of God won't let me stay there. Because my nature is not of a raven. My nature is of the spirit of God. And that's why you're here this morning because God is drawing you to a place where he is. And you may lie on certain things and lie on certain doctrines and fabrications and fairy tales or religious methods, but it doesn't satisfy you. It may satisfy the someone beside you, but maybe they're a raven. Maybe they've never been born again of God. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they've been baptized and signed the church name. But I'm talking about being born again, St. John chapter three, verse three. And if you're born again of God, the sons and daughters of God, I'm telling you, he will not let you enjoy Anything that the world has to offer, he'll only let you enjoy being in his presence. I'm glad for that. Luke chapter 3, verse 38. So, what about what about people that do really dumb things? I mean, really? Look at Adam. And and I've had people say this: Adam was a goner. Well, let's see what the Bible says. This is the genealogy, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, and Adam, which was the son of God. They're doing the genealogy backwards in Luke. Matthew, they go forward, they stop with Abraham. Now then they're going all the way back to to Adam and they go backwards and, and Enos, which was the son of Seth, and Seth, which was the son of Adam. His name means compensation. And Adam, he was the son of God. And I keep his, this was written 4,000 years after Adam sinned. So after 4,000 years by the Holy Spirit that it writes, that even though that Adam made a wrong turn and we understand that he willingly took the fruit, he willingly, she was deceived, he wasn't. Timothy says, ex epiteho, she took the fruit because she wasn't in the garden when the Satan was talking to her. It doesn't matter. He wasn't deceived. He's the type of Christ. He willingly took the fruit of sin and death to redeem us back to himself. But even after his sin that was separated from the garden, 4,000 years later, he's still referred to as the son of God. That should be good news for the Miller family. That should really be good news for the Resendez bunch. I know that's right. In spite of my dumbness and in spite of my wrong action, my heart is towards you, but I've always been a son of God. And because I've always been a son of God, that there's a moral compass set within me that I cannot escape. And it's the magnetic pole that's drawn me to God in his presence. Something like this might have been recorded in spite of my failures and my poor decisions which had brought upon my family an adverse effect. I still have that seed in me. Sister Eve. Eve said this. Even though in spite of of all my failures and my poor decisions, Eve said, and these poor decisions had brought an adverse effect upon my family. But there's one thing that I'm confident it was promised by God in the garden in Genesis and three and 15 that out of your seed will come the one that will crush the head of the enemy, if you've been born again of God and the seed of God is in you, which is the Zara, it's the life seed of God, which has the ability to produce life. I'm here to tell you right now, even though your failures and your disappointments and your divorces and your disruptions and your bad decisions, here's what I'm telling you: I don't, I, I don't encourage anyone to have poor decisions and 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 bad health, uh, I mean, bad social skills. I'm just telling you. That if God's seed is in you, it will accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish when He put it into your life. Amen. Now, somebody said, Well, so does that mean I can live like Him? No, you know you can't. He finally realized it. It's in me. It's in me. I did a dumb thing, but it's in me. The power and the promises of God, ladies and gentlemen, is in you. And here's what I want to say to you before we go home. Your enemy is trying to talk you out of what God has placed within your life. I'm trying to put you in an environment where we're trying to fertilize you and water you and let this thing grow to become everything that God said you could become. Everything. And I don't mean rich and famous and prosperous. I don't mean that. I mean, have power and glory and might and honor and integrity and humility and meekness and all these things. Kingdom minded, kingdom righteousness. Because I'm living in the kingdom now. I don't know how you see it, but I'll tell you, when he rose from the dead, the kingdom of heaven took over as we've been learning in all of that discourse, The kingdom of heaven is now. John the Baptist said, it's looking straight at you in the eye right now. I'm in that kingdom right now. I'm not waiting for an unknown space and time. The king of heaven lives in my heart. He's reigning in my heart. He's ruling in my heart. And regardless of what's going on in my life, the king is controlling my thoughts, my mind, and my actions, no matter what the world is doing. Jesus said it. He said, this world has nothing on me. Has nothing on me. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the problems when we do sin, here's, here's got to be handed down. Genesis chapter four, verse seven. God's having a conversation with Cain, and Cain's a whole lot like, like a lot of people that you, you used to be like. God gives the instructions to Abel. It's called the law. The first mention, uh, because of the sacrificial of animals was used to cover and atone. The word atone means to cover. That's all it means. Uh, The same word as kephar in Noah's ark. The word kephar (coughs) means atone, cover. It's the same word. He pitched it. It's the same word kephar. He pitched the ark top and bottom. It means the atonement. The blood of Jesus atones us from future sins and past sins. It's a picture of the ark. Rain coming down and rain that's already there. His blood atones us. We're good. My security in God is is good. And the question I ask you, can we just be normal? Can we grow up into the knowledge of him and start acting like responsible grown adults in Christ? Yes. We're way on our way. He's having a conversation with Cain. Cain's not getting it. He graduated from Dixon. He's not getting it. And this is what he says. This is what the Hebrew says. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. There's been great controversy over this one verse until you get to the Hebrew manuscript and it'll solve a lot of mysteries. The word sin lies at the door. If you had a King James Bible, you're gonna say, and sin wants to rule you and pounce you, and he's hiding behind the billboard, and he's gonna get you and he'll suffocate you. You need to you just get that out of your head. The word sin lies at the door or the threshold. The word sin is a word called kata in the Hebrew. It is the only definition for sin offering. There's 12 or 13 in Exodus and 2 in Leviticus that use the word kata in its sin offering. So here it is. Let's clear the mud up. Cain, I've given you instruction what I want you to do. I've given you instruction. I set the instructions by the pattern of the sacrificial offering of, of the blood of animals. This is what I want because it it is foreshadowing my son that will offer up the the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sin. And and my son Jesus, you don't know that, but he will fulfill this. So this is what I want. And he said, Cain, why is your countenance so frustrated? Your countenance is falling. If you do well, will you not be accepted? You don't have to pout. Don't come in here pouting. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Yes. But here's better news. But if you don't get it right, there's a sin offering at your feet. Now, what does that mean? His brother, his brother had lambs there in the presence of God. where they offered up sacrificial worship. And we talked about this about a year ago. I mean, these boys were old. They've been doing this for a long time. This is not just little kids in junior high. I mean, they've been doing this for a long time. But anyway, and that's why he's so frustrated because years this has been going on. But he said, he said, I want you to get it right. You're my creation. I want you to get it right. But here's the good news. Even if you don't get it right, there's a sin offering at the door and it desires to rule you and have control over you. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's put it in Greek. You'll understand Greek. 1 John 2 and 1. My little children, these things that I write into you that you sin not, that you get it right. But just in case you don't get it right, you're out of luck. You're going to, you know where. If you goof up, my little children, and you don't get it exactly 100% right all the time, you're going to go to hell. That's what it says, I think. No, it does not. He said, my little children, these things I write into you, I'm telling you, sin not. Hammer T is a word. Don't miss the mark. Don't get off. Don't get twisted off. But if you do, here's the great news. I explained it to Cain, but you have an advocate, Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, that will help you. It's through Jesus Christ, our righteousness. You see this thing about compensation and restoration. God would always prefer restoration over alienation, isolation and abandonment for his own. What he was telling Cain, what I'm telling you this morning, that we all are subject to run off the road and make mistakes, don't sin. And I don't, I'm not talking about pimps and prostitutes and plumbers. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about getting your feelings hurt. Because if your feelings get hurt, then you got a pride problem. You have a pride problem. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do that if we get to a place where we absolutely just run off the road from time to time. We understand. God said, I understand because you're still in a human nature and a human body. But here's the good news. Like I explained to Cain, and this is what Cain said, is my punishment too great to be forgiven? Is my iniquity too great to be forgiven? That's what Cain asked him even though that he murdered his brother, even though that he reacted and God tried to talk him out of it and, and he wouldn't listen to God and he went and he murdered his brother and he got to the place where it absolutely hit him square in the eye and finally came to, came to a place of really repentance and said, I, I think I've gone too far for God to forgive me. Now hear me this morning, we're going to go home. The only sin that God will never forgive is one that's not repentant of. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the one that has never been asked for forgiveness. And no matter what you've done, if there's something within your heart that's saying, God, I probably shouldn't have done that, I want you to forgive me. There's no sin that you can commit that God cannot forgive you of. Now someone's gonna throw in the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and we'll talk about that at a later date, but I, so this morning, the grace of God gives us the ability to repent. If God didn't give you the ability to repent, and then we can never be forgiven. So when we make a mistake, little children, and we get off the wrong road and the wrong path, and we may respond in a different way, here's the great news. Then we have an advocate named Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. And the word that parakletos is so important is because the word is connected that he's our advisor, he's our attorney, he's our lawyer, he's the one that calms us down. It's kind of like a word called paracolio, the word paras beside and colio is that where we get a word for call, he talks to us. And this morning, I'm glad to tell you that even though we find ourselves alone and lost in a wrong direction, the Holy Spirit will attach Himself to our life and He'll just talk to us. It's all right. Father, I just prayed this morning that every time that we look into a mirror, that honestly, we ask the question, What is it that it's about us that would make water run from your eyes? As we begin to examine our report card of last week and last month and last year, that we begin to show God all of our F's and D minuses and saying, God, there's there's really nothing here that is attractive. No one else thinks I'm attractive. No one else appreciates anything I do. And I don't understand how just me being on planet Earth can cause water to come out of your eyes. And here's the simple answer, because He loves you. And because He loves you, He has given you grace. Before you ever said, I do, that he would not allow you to remain on certain dead things because that's never who you were intended to be. And the seed of God is still in you, my friend. There's something that's very powerful on the inside. You've been impregnated with the very life of God. There's sermons that have not yet been spoken by you. There's songs that have not yet been sung by you. There's evangelism that has not yet been cultivated in another man's heart. The seed is still in you. And it's alive and it's growing. So Father, I pray this morning that we'll just understand that grace does not make us great. It makes us grateful. And I'm so thankful for your grace in my life. For you this morning that have never, ever made a personal commitment to Christ, I'm just glad you're here. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's letting you know there may be some things that you need to get right this morning. You don't have to come to the front right where you are. You can just cry out to God and call to him. God, I'm like that. I'm like that dove. I'm not like that raven. I can't live that way. I can't live from one dead thing to the other. That's not who I am. I can't eat the flesh of dead things. I only find rest near you. And Father, that's why they're here this morning. Bring them in, speak to them and love them. Father, we love you this morning for all that you have plans for our life. Thank you. Your grace is enough. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. If you've been saved by grace, stand and give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Would you please? God is good. Isn't God good? Amen. Communion servers, please make your way this morning. Jeremiah 31.3 says, with cords of loving kindness, you have drawn me with your goodness. As the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, so Lord, I'm drawn to you because of your goodness. So here's the homework for this week. Don't get overwhelmed what other people are doing. Don't get entangled with the uh, the affairs of other people's lives. Just realize this morning, because that you said yes to Jesus, because he said yes to you first, the most silliest things that you do along the way, singing at volume 10 behind the steering wheel of a car, You're making water spring out of the eyes of God. When the children's church next door is singing a song in a cappella and all of them are off key or on every key, I'm telling you that God is telling all the angels to knock it off. He wants you to hear. Because the Bible says that out of children comes perfect praise. And water comes out of the eyes of God to those who simply with childlike faith live for Him. So you may say this morning, well, Reverend, I don't have it figured out. Well, none of us do. Just live for Him. Let Him love you. He's put you here in a good place this morning. That night Jesus sat with His disciples and He said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the ordinance of Passover. They took the unleavened bread, which represented no sin. But Jesus said, now then, I am the manna that comes from heaven. And if any man eats of me, that he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the the ram's blood that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross that when the death angel came that night, Abaddon, that he would pass over that house. The Lord looked at his disciples, he said, "'I am the Lamb of God, which John bear witness to, "'that takes away the sins of the world, "'and my Father in just a few short minutes "'will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross "'for the forgiveness of your sins. "'Do this and remember me. Holy Spirit, would you teach us something this morning? Would you remove the curvature from our minds and our thoughts of traditions of men? Would you unravel our raveled thought process? Would you please straighten out our contorted thoughts? Please. And help us to live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.